According to Trent Griffith, senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana, a marriage has to do with a lot more than just rings and a license and a wedding. Here's Trent. What turns a girl into a wife? Well, it's one word, commitment. Commitment. First, God turns a boy into a man, and then that man turns a girl into a wife by committing his whole life to her. Not just committing his body, but committing his finances, committing his mind, his emotion, committing his time, his space. You should never commit your body to someone who is unwilling to commit their whole life to you and turn your status from girl into a wife and boy into a husband. And it says this is a good thing. Welcome to Resonate. I'm Aaron Paulus. You know, there used to be a cultural understanding that marriage was important. It showed up in popular songs like this one, sung by Frank Sinatra in 1955. Love and marriage, love and marriage Go together like a horse and carriage This I tell you, brother You can't have one without the other Love and marriage But in recent decades, attitudes about marriage have changed quite a bit. A lot of people don't even see the point of getting married. They say, why bother? We're just as happy, if not more happy, living together than most married couples are. They just don't see a compelling reason to go ahead and tie the knot. Well, popular opinions about things like marriage do tend to shift over time. But in the midst of changing attitudes, we need to be careful to ask, what does God think about this? And for that, we should turn to the Bible. Last week, Pastor Trent showed us a verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. It says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. If you have little children around, you should know that today's program would be rated PG or maybe even PG-13. Remember, you can always come back and listen at our website, harvestgranger.org resonate. We're going to review some of what we heard from Pastor Trent last week, and then the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Trent. So why would people believe that marriage is obsolete? Well, here's some reasons. First of all, marriage would be, uh, people would believe marriage is obsolete because some people think God is obsolete. People are giving up on marriage because people are giving up on God. I don't expect anyone who hasn't entered into a covenant love relationship with Jesus to be interested in a covenant love relationship with an imperfect human being. I am not interested in trying to convince you that you think marriage is good until you realize God is good. And once you have entered into a covenant love relationship with God, then you will gravitate toward things that God says is good. So if you've given up on God, I wouldn't expect you to really think that his plan for human relationships is something you would be interested in, which may explain why you're really not that interested in something God says is good. You've got a vertical problem, not a horizontal problem. Some people think God is obsolete. Other people have never seen a good marriage. 
a gospel-driven, forgiving, and forbearing marriage. If you grew up listening to your parents cuss each other out each night and throw things at one another, if you were shuffled between your mom's house during the week and your dad's house on the weekend while trying not to be resentful of your stepmom that was sleeping with your dad and your stepdad that was sleeping with your mom, if you found your home being invaded by aliens otherwise known as stepbrothers and stepsisters, while you were dragged between four sets of grandparents on Thanksgiving and New Year's and Christmas, if you've been kept informed of high-profile adulterous scandals in Hollywood, Washington, and the church, if you got your idea of love, sex, dating, and marriage from a romantic comedy where the couple seems to have so much fun and so much sexual excitement without marriage, if you've never seen a good marriage, I wouldn't blame you a bit for being a little bit cynical at my claim that marriage is good. That's why you think marriage is obsolete. You've never seen a good marriage. And you are being informed and educated about myths regarding marriage. Some people are pretending to be married. The percentage of married Americans has dropped each year since the 1950s, and the number of cohabiting but unmarried couples has risen 1,000% in the last 40 years. You say, well, Trent, I mean, come on. This is, this is a wise practice here. You, you should move in, see if you're compatible, see if you can work things out to see if you want to like enter into that like big commitment of marriage. I mean, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it, would you? Well, no, you wouldn't drive a car without test driving it. But your relationship with your car is a performance-based relationship. You want to see if this car can do for you what you want it to do for you. Now, if you're entering into a marriage like it's a performance-based relationship, your marriage is not going to last as long as your car. You say, well, I'm, trying, I'm just trying to see if it's compatible. Listen, you, what you think is a myth. What is true sociologically doesn't back up your claim that this is actually going to help you in marriage. As a matter of fact, studies reveal that couples that live together, generally the vast majority of them break up in five years. And couples who live together prior to being married, they are twice as likely to divorce after marriage. It's not helping you. It's actually hurting you. And if you are having sex with your live-in boyfriend or live-in girlfriend, do you know what you're actually communicating to them? You are communicating this. I am the kind of person who will have sex with someone I'm not married to. I am demonstrating that because I'm having sex with you and we're not married. Listen, one of the joys we have around here is watching couples kind of come in. You know, they, they do a little toe dipping to see if it's safe around here. And then they'll step in a little closer and they love what's going on. They're being taught by the Bible. They're experiencing Jesus and his presence in our worship. And then sometimes they come to the membership class and they'll, they'll fill out the paperwork for membership. And we look and it's like, hmm, 
We have two different last names, but we have one address. What do we do with that? Well, we love you very much to tell you, you've got two options. You need to break up in obedience to Christ, not break up, but move out, or get married in obedience to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, it, it never fails. A couple of times a year, after a good, loving conversation with a pastor, people say, you are absolutely right. We need to stop pretending to be married, and we need to actually commit to a covenant love relationship. Let's look at this verse and just unpack it word by word here. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. This verse kind of identifies a missing piece in a man. Now, if you're female here, you can turn that around. And obviously you can read it, she who finds a husband finds a good thing. But from the beginning, we find out that there, there are men who need to find a wife. The first man was perfect, but at the same time, he was incomplete. I don't even know how to explain that to you. Adam had the goodness of God stamped into him, but after he found a wife, God said, now it's very good. So he was good, he was perfect, but he was incomplete until God brought a wife to him. And this man found a treasure to complete him. Men are at their best when they are hunting for treasure. And men are at their worst when they are passive and don't realize the treasure right in front of them. And men are at their worst when they take their leadership role, the role that God created them for, and abuse it and begin to intimidate or dominate rather than treasure the woman that God has brought into their lives. There are some women listening to me right now and you're being abused by a man who is abusing his leadership role in your life. I wanna tell you something, listen to me. You need to get to a safe place. Remove yourself from that situation. You need to call the police and then you need to let the church know, let the elders know. If you don't feel comfortable coming to one of the male elders, you find one of our wives, you find another trusted woman in this church, and we will help you get to a safe place. And then we will help him stop abusing you. And so he who finds a wife finds a good thing. The word finds there is an important word. It means reaches out. It's not that he just kind of stumbles over it. I mean, he actually grasps the good gift. He receives the treasure that God has given him. It means he assumes responsibility for the wife. Proverbs 31.10 says this, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. need to follow Paul's lead down here on the front row, fellas. <laughs> if you get close enough to Andrea this morning, ask to see her wedding ring, and she'll, t she'll show it to you. You'll see it's got a nice diamond on the top of it there, but around the wedding band, what you will find is rubies. Now, I know that what's in vogue today is that couples like go to the jewelry store and the wife kind of picks out a ring, you know, and they kind of work out, you know, the thing there. I didn't do that. I wanted to be the one that picked out her ring. So I took all $384 that I had saved up 
and I walked into the jewelry store and I was like, I need a ring, but it needs to have some rubies on it. And so on the day that I asked Andrea to marry me, I placed that ring on her finger and I said, it has rubies because every time you look at it, I want you to remember that your price to me is far above those rubies. One of my finer moments as a husband. <laughs> I see some of you single guys out there like, oh, write that down, <laughs> pretty good. I married Andrea in 1994. Here's what we looked like in 1994. Uh, just the same as we do now, actually. And um, that was 23 years ago. Um, let me tell you how I found Andrea. I had become the first youth pastor at First Baptist Church in Newport, Arkansas. Town of 8,000, okay? So roughly 4,000 women in that town. Roughly 3,997 were either single or divorced and 70 years old. And so the, the possibility of me finding a virtuous woman in that town were very low until God did a gracious thing. Our, the pastor of our church announced that we were going to host a two-week life action revival crusade. And they were bringing this big team from Buchanan, Michigan to Newport, Arkansas. And uh, half of the team members were college-age single team members. And half of the college-age single team members were female. And so before the actual meeting started, they sent a representative to Newport about six weeks ahead of the team to get us all prepared. And I remember we had a staff meeting, my senior pastor, my music director, and my executive pastor, and I sat with this nice man named Don from Life Action. And Don began to introduce us, kind of give us the little biography of each team member. And as he got to the single girls, my pastor, my music director, and my executive pastor began to ask questions about the particular girls because they knew I was single. And they said, well, can you tell me how tall she is? <laughs> what color eyes does that one have? They're trying to hook me up. I'm like, it is all about our vertical relationship with the Lord during the revival meeting. You, you do not need to be focused on this. I tried to correct them. But... Um, Six weeks later, the team arrived, and one of the young ladies on the team, her name was Andrea Green. She was the only team member on the team that wasn't doing anything because she'd been sick, and she, during the training where everybody else was setting up equipment and everything, she didn't know how to do all that, so she was just standing around. She looked like she needed a friend. And so I went over and talked to her. Our first conversation was about a former girlfriend of mine named... Christy, um, who went to Sanford University with Andrea. Well, she didn't really like her. So uh, that's the way our conversation uh, started. And uh, over the next two weeks, we didn't, I didn't spend any more time with her than I did anybody else. And they packed up the bus and they left. I thought, well, I'll never see her again. Six months later, I joined Life Action and began traveling at the exact same moment that Andrea quit Life Action and went back home to 
Huntsville, Alabama. But she came back for a week up in this area to get her stuff because she'd left her stuff up here. And we began talking and we decided we'd stay in touch. And so um, I started traveling that year. We saw each other maybe five times on a weekend or something like that. I thought that was sufficient, so I asked her to marry me. And uh, <laughs> then uh, during the eight month engagement period, we saw each other an additional three times. And then on December the 17th, 1994, we got married. And here I am doing a series on marriage and I'm still learning. But uh, you're learning along with me here. But I'm just here to tell you, marriage is a good thing. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. The next word goes on and talks about a wife. Notice this does not say he who finds a girl finds a good thing. Not a girlfriend, a wife. What, what turns a girl into a wife? Isn't that a good question? Like actually what triggers this, this change? What turns a girl into a wife? Well, it's one word, commitment. Commitment. First, God turns a boy into a man, and then that man turns a girl into a wife by committing his whole life to her. Not just committing his body, but committing his finances, committing his mind, his emotion, committing his time, his space. You should never commit your body to someone who is unwilling to commit their whole life to you and turn your status from girl into a wife and boy into a husband. And it says this is a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. I don't even need the Bible to convince you of that. Sociologists have discovered marriage is a good thing. A couple of years ago, I was walking through an airport and I saw this Time Magazine article that um, says this. This is how to stay married and why. So Time Magazine is going to tell you why you should stay married. You know what they found? They discovered what is universally, irrefutably true. Married people live longer are physically healthier, have fewer signs of mental illness, make more money, build more wealth, have more satisfying sex more often than those who cohabitate or are divorced. Divorced men are twice as likely as married men to die from heart disease, stroke, hypertension, and cancer. David Larson, president of the National Institute of Healthcare Research says, the impact of divorce on your health is like starting to smoke a pack of cigarettes every day. The chances of a middle-aged married man making it to his 65th birthday are 9 in 10. The chances of a middle-aged single or divorced man making it to his 65th birthday are 6 in 10. Carl Pillemer, a Cornell University social scientist, studied 700 elderly married people. He said 100% of them told him the long marriage was the best thing in their lives. But all of them also said at some point, marriage is hard, really hard. 
But do you hear what they're saying? It's hard, but it's worth it. If you will stay married long enough, you will eventually reap the rewards of your commitment. Another man, John Gottman, one of the nation's leading marriage researchers, found that the longer couples are married, the more the sense of kindness returns to their marriage, so much so that later in life, your relationship becomes very much like it was during courtship. Do you remember how much you played around, how much fun you had during courtship, just carefree? That's what it's like when you're so old, you don't have children to get in the way anymore. Marriage is good for you. Marriage is a good thing, but marriage is not the ultimate thing. I want you to hear this. We make a mistake when we say that marriage is obsolete. We also make a mistake when we say that marriage is ultimate. There's something more important, more significant than marriage, and that is your vertical relationship with the Lord. And so if you are unmarried, that's great. As a matter of fact, Paul had some wonderful things to say about being single. Not only did he say that marriage is good, but in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, he said this, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. And he meant inside marriage or outside marriage. It's just good to be single. And he promotes the virtues of singleness, that you can serve the Lord unencumbered with all kinds of responsibility for another person. You can take risk that you wouldn't take because you're trying to protect another person. Marriage is a good thing. It's not the ultimate thing. But marriage is good because it was designed by a good God to reflect the relationship that Jesus, the bridegroom, has with the church, his bride. And marriage is good for you. And when I say that, I don't mean like, your mom used to say broccoli is good for you. I mean the way your pastor says Krispy Kreme donuts are good for you. It is good. And then marriage is good for children. What would you say mar that uh, children need? What are the irreducible minimums of what children need to thrive? I mean, after they're fed and cared for, what, what would they need? Love security, safety, commitment, identity. Do you know what we're describing? That's called a marriage. God's plan for children is to grow up in the home of their biological mother and their biological father who are committed to one another for a lifetime. Children need both a mom and a dad to discover their sexual identity. Children from single or divorced homes are more at risk of being poor, unhealthy, having mental illness, not graduating from college, and getting divorced themselves later in life. With so much talk in our culture about how to prevent school shootings and poverty and gang violence and sexual abuse, how often do you hear any of those talking heads say something like this. We ought to have a man marry a woman and together have children and raise that child so that they understand how to resolve conflict, how to forgive, how to forbear. But who says that? 
We race off to what kind of legislation we're gonna pass to try to manage things that are broken because somebody thought marriage was obsolete. It's the solution to so many of our problems. The last thing the verse says is this. When you do it God's way, you obtain favor from the Lord. When you do it God's way, you know what God does? God commands his blessing right there. I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it easier. I'm gonna remove that obstacle. I'm gonna command my blessing. I'm, I'm gonna provide protection from sources of, of danger around that man and that woman and those children. That's favor, undeserved grace from God because you did it God's way. Anytime you're talking about this subject, I know I'm hitting on nerves. I am stepping over landmines. I'm creating questions that don't have easy answers. And that's why I simply wanna pray for you that the Holy Spirit would minister to you in whatever state you're in. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Would you just simply affirm the truth of what God says from your heart to his? Would you just agree with God? Marriage is good. And marriage is possible for you. Some of you may need to turn from those alternatives that you've been seeking to find companionship, sexual fulfillment, embrace God's plan so that God can command his favor in your direction. Lord, I pray for every uh, single person here right now. And uh, whether they're single, single again, God, would you heal wounds by your spirit? Would you give them a heart for marriage? Put hope where there's hopelessness. Give them trust in your timing. Give them purity. And I pray for every married couple that maybe is stuck, maybe been diverted by so many other things. I pray, God, that you would heal those marriages. Pray for the one here that's closest to divorce. And I pray, God, that you would intervene with new levels of forbearance, forgiveness, a fresh start for many. We pray all these things so that the marriages represented here that name the name of Christ can shine bright in a very dark world that believes marriage is actually obsolete. So use our marriages all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we remember that marriage was God's idea in the first place, it makes sense that marriage, as God intended it, is actually good for society. He wouldn't design something that would harm us. Listen, if you've been harmed by a bad marriage, the problem isn't a bad design. The problem is that the marriage was not functioning according to God's good design. And that's an important distinction. Now, having said that, next week, Trent Griffith will discuss another myth that we can easily slip into believing, that marriage will make me happy. Here's how you can visit our church, Harvest Bible Chapel. Head over to harvestgranger.org and click where it says, Worship With Us. There you'll see our service times and our street address so you know where to come. 
There's a link to Pastor Trent's most recent sermon, and also you can see our four pillars listed, along with a link to more about what we believe. Again, you can find all this at harvestgranger.org. We hope to see you soon. So today we heard that marriage is good, and next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent reminds us that we can never find ultimate satisfaction in marriage. That's something that only God can give us. I hope you'll join us for that. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart and in your relationships this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.